Hello, everyone. He said, my name is Tom Brocious, and he's been mentoring me for several months now. And it's, it's just been an incredible experience. You know, we weren't expecting this at all. We were part of another church for like 17 years. My wife was with me for 11 of that. And I'm going to take my mask off for you. My wife has been there for me, reminding me of things like my mask. If I'm put together, it's 100% because of her, because, you know, she is pretty crucial for all that. You know, and so for 11 years, I've looked put together at the other church, and, and we, we ended up stepping away. We didn't know what was next because we left right before the pandemic, and so we, were, we didn't know what was coming. But like three months into this, H calls us and asks us if he wants, the, if he wants us to plant a church in Madison County. And I was like, sure, you know, we'll do that. That sounds actually like a good idea. And I wanted to look at what Daylight was talking about. I mean, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. We've known H for a while but it didn't take long before I really, really started absorbing the, the, the teachings here and, and the foundation underneath it. You know, when I'm reading the proposal and everything because I'm plagiarizing a whole lot of it in my own. And, uh, but he references uh, John 12 and the proposal, you know, in 35 through 36, where Jesus says, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light... Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. You know, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus is the light of man. And he says that as we, as we take on his character, as we spend time with him, become more like him, we become sons of light. And I love the idea of shining light in this world because this is a world full of darkness. We've seen so much pain. Just seeing what some of those kids are dealing with in Zambia over there and what, what we see in the streets. We see racism. We see so many people being trampled. We see families being torn apart, uh, wives being mistreated, children being mistreated in this world. And people are calling out, looking for hope. And we have the ability to shine the light of Jesus into these situations to provide hope. And I love that concept. My wife and I love the concept of shining light in the world that we named our daughter Eleanor, which literally means shining light. We love that concept. And we love what you're doing here. We don't see us as taking what you're doing and doing a novel thing. Hopefully, we're continuing what you're doing in Berea and, uh, and just shining light just like you all are here in Louisville. And uh, so now that I've talked about that darkness and that light, I, I kind of want to talk to you about heaven, you know, because heaven is really what the great hope is for a lot of us here. And we're all hoping for good things. I think it's a universal hope, not just for Christians, whether or not they understand what it is that they're hoping for. But we've all experienced that darkness that we're talking about in our own lives. It's individualized for us, and we see it corporately. There's sin in this world, and we're all longing for heaven. But there's a great misunderstanding about heaven in our churches that we, uh, we don't all we don't all see right away because we've all heard sermons that tell us, when you die, do you want to go to heaven? Every one of us has heard sermons telling us, do you want to go to heaven when you die? And my favorite theologian in the world, who I will probably mention in every sermon that I preach, N.T. Wright, says that uh, we don't go to heaven when we die. Heaven is coming to earth. Heaven and earth are becoming one. The idea that we're going to heaven comes from the philosopher Plato. Plato is the father of Western philosophy, and his work has been crucial in understanding the development of Christian thought over the past 2,000 years. Western philosophy has helped us parse this stuff out and make it comprehensible for everybody. It's been great. 
But anytime you take a thinker and you, and you marry him too much, you have the ability to bring extra stuff in, potentially harmful stuff in. You know, we don't leave our body and become energy in this world. We don't go live with Jesus and the angels for eternity. As Christians, we believe in bodily resurrection. You know, Jesus didn't die and turn into a ball of energy. Jesus was resurrected, and we are going to be like Jesus in the resurrection. We believe in a resurrected body living on this earth as heaven and earth become one. But the cool thing about Jesus' ministry is that we don't have to wait for heaven to come to earth. You know, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, he teaches them to ask, you know, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when he says kingdom in the gospel of Luke, he says the kingdom of God. But synonymously in the gospel of Matthew, he's he's saying the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is where God is, where God is reigning, where the world is acting according to God's Will And we pray that that comes into our lives today. And we see that in breaking things happen when people go to Zambia, when, when people are baptized, when they give their lives over to the Lord and they continue to take steps towards him. And we see uh, redemption taking hold in their lives and that leading to beautiful, beautiful lives that are lived out in their spheres of influence that bring all kinds of justice in this world. We see that today. And it's amazing But we also know that heaven is not fully here yet because we also see racism and sexism and and just absolutely horrible things happening in families. And we see backbiting and, and backstabbing and people trying to take people out. And that's what's happening in the church today, you know, not just outside. Well, heaven is coming, but heaven is not fully here yet. And we're all longing for that great time when heaven is fully here, and we don't have to be absolutely taken out by the darkness on a regular basis. And so I want to read this picture of heaven to you and really unpack it for you. There's some symbology in it, but uh, it's, I think it's very straightforward, and I'll unpack it. I think you'll understand it very easily. So this is from Revelation 29, 21, 9 through 7, the New Jerusalem and the Bride of the Lamb. One of the angels said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, showed me the great city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates, And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles. Now I'm going to sum up this next section right here because I think it is murder on your ears. And it's hard uh, hard to imagine because it's mentioning all kinds of measurement forms that we don't use today and and forms of gemstones that even the scholars don't know what they look like. So I'm going to be asking you to imagine something that is probably impossible for you to do. So I'm going to skip that for you and let you know that this part of this city is about 1,500 miles 
long and wide. It's a perfect cube, and it's made out of 12 gemstones. We'll, we'll unpack the meaning of that in a minute here. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. The Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, there's a ton of symbols here, but it's not that complicated once you break it down. So you, you see mentions of the 12 tribes of Israel, which goes back to Jacob, which is the first person who, his name is Israel. They all, everybody who is a member of Israel traces their origins to these 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus, in not so coincidental form, gets 12 apostles to go with the 12 patriarchs of Israel. So all of the people who come to the faith through Jesus are absorbing a faith that he handed down through those apostles. So all of the people of God who either come from the patriarchs or for the apostles are living in this new city, this new city called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the capital of Israel throughout the Old Testament. It's the capital today, I think. And it's, the, it's, called, it's Zion. It's the most important city in the world if you are a Jew or really if you're a Christian in a lot of ways. That's where the temple was. That's where God's presence was. That's where the priestly kingdom was to worship God and bring that presence to, to the world so that everybody would come to Jerusalem and that they would sacrifice to God in that temple and that God's name would be famous and would be glorified throughout the world. And this new Jerusalem is coming out of the sky in this symbol, in this picture, with all of God's people living in it. And it's a perfect cube, which shows that it's like a temple. And it has 12 gemstones that make it up. You, don't, you can look up a picture, I'm sure it's cool, but all you need to know is that the high priest of Israel wore a, a breastplate with 12 gemstones on it. In the center of that temple that took place in Jerusalem was a place called the holiest of holy places. You know, there were three layers in that temple. There was an outer court, an inner court, and the holiest of holy places. All the priests could go into that inner court, but only one priest could go into that holiest of holy place. And he could only do it once a year because there was a veil there. Now, we believe Jesus tore that veil when he was crucified but that veil was there, and only this high priest wearing this outfit was allowed to go into there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now the whole city of Israel is now outfitted like that high priestly garment. It's made out of 12 gemstones. The whole city, the whole people of God are now outfitted so that they can live continuously in the presence of God for the rest of eternity. And that's why that city has no temple, because the temple marks the presence of the Lord, but it also marks the separation from the Lord. But they live continuously in the presence of God and Jesus, and who is Jesus is God, but they are the temple themselves. And the light that shines forth from God's glory and from Jesus, who is the Lamb, who is the lamp, is so bright that there's no longer any need for the sun. Now, I... 
I, don't, I can't really picture what that looks like. I have no idea if that's a literal picture. I think it's clearly symbolic, and that's all we need to go with it. I have no idea what the uh, physics of the whole New Jerusalem are going to look like. You know, that's not the point of the sermon. All you need to know is that God's light is so bright, and darkness has been so vanquished that all of the nations around this city are now walking by God's light. There's no longer any needs to close those gates. Not just because there's no night, no night, but there's no brigands coming in to plunder the city. Everybody's living righteously. Everybody is treating their people correctly. Their families are living properly. And there's no longer any of this pain that all of us are longing to, to get rid of. This is what we have to hope for. This is what we long for in our world. Everybody in this world is longing for that. When we picture what God is going to do on this earth, we can look to that new Jerusalem, what it symbolizes, what it means, and we can hold firm in that. And it, but here's the thing. I think it's everybody. It's not just Christians that are longing for this reality. Um, when, I, when I was preparing for this sermon, I, I, I actually got online and asked people to talk about their favorite songs on the radio that were about heaven and, or mentioned heaven. And they gave me this list, and I had this cool introduction out. And this is a, I had three weeks to prepare for this because he asked me. And so I got to this week, and I was like, this is really clunky. It doesn't fit. So I just scrapped that. So if you're hearing this online or you were here and you put that on my Facebook, I'm sorry. I've saved it. Maybe if this becomes like a, a series as I expand it, I would love to use that. I love the songs. But one of the people mentioned something that I was absolutely blown away by. They mentioned that John Lennon mentions heaven and imagine, you know. And imagine is like one of the anthems of atheism in the world today. You know, it's a, it's, I think it's one of the most catchy songs I've ever heard in my entire life. But John Lennon says, imagine that there's no heaven. Imagine that there's no artificial boundaries behind us. Imagine that we just are living for the day with one another. You know, we are living. He's describing a heavenly world without heaven, without Jesus. He's describing a just world where we're no longer plundering one another, where there's no longer any artificial boundaries that are separating us from one another. He's, he's imagining this world where that every single one of us could possibly just go in there, feel welcome, and be a part of it. You know, this is a noble vision from John Lennon. And we've all seen this rise of, of nuns in our nation where people uh, don't affiliate with any religion. They don't believe in God. And some of them are just flat-out atheists. They don't believe in God. But we, I think it's important as those of us who want to live in a, in a nation that includes everybody to recognize that the atheists that are around us are not cannibals, you know? The atheists in our neighborhood are not moral monsters. And in many cases, they are more moral than some of the Christians in our, in our neighborhoods. They are fighting for justice and equality. They are at the very front. In many cases, the atheists in our lives want a just world, and they are fighting for it. And we have to recognize that and say, we actually we recognize this in you, and we think it's beautiful, and we want to come alongside you and work towards restoration in this world. But here's where we don't agree with you, John Lennon. We don't agree is that, is that what... People who are going in this way are putting their uh, faith in progress, you know? Progress is a good thing in humanity, okay? Progress brings equality. Progress 
brings justice in this world. You know, it is a good thing when when uh, people who are underprivileged get better education. It's a good thing when they get enough food to eat. It's a good thing when people who are being oppressed are not being put in jail for, for disproportionate sentences. You know, these are good things. They are noble things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back against how good they are. And I, I need you to know that I recognize that I am, I'm like a white dude who's middle class who failed out of college three times before I succeeded, you know? You know, I, I had a lot of things going for me in my life that a lot of other people didn't have going for them. And so I don't want to push back against somebody who's dealing with difficulties that I don't fully understand. That's not where I'm going with the sermon, and I'm going to try to come back to that towards the end. Because these things are noble causes. I think progress is a good thing. It's just that I think progress is an offshoot of redemption. We, the world is not looking just for progress because progress will improve our living conditions. Progressing towards better living conditions is, is incredibly important for humanity, but progress won't touch our hearts. Progress won't take away our proneness to jealousy. It won't take away our proneness to bitterness, to envy. It won't take away our, our, our desire to get more than is absolutely ours. You know, it doesn't change who we are, and it's not enough for the human condition because we need Jesus. Jesus is the key to unlocking all of this. Revelation 4 and 5 is, is this in a nutshell, you know? Everybody's saying, God, please come, put an end to all this injustice. We're being martyred. We're being persecuted. There's all kinds of problems in this world. And it says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain, and only he is able to open the scroll. Only he, in that picture, is able to move humanity forward. Only Jesus unlocks that way to that life that we truly are longing for, that day of sunless daylight that we're all longing for, that day that is on our hearts and our longings individually, because we're all suffering individually. We all need that redemption that comes, to, comes from Jesus you know, gee, redemption is the key. But you, here's, here's where I'm going to go with this. We aren't living in a world where heaven is completely here. There, there's still injustice in this world. There's still problems in this world. And God might not be able to fi- might not fix all of your problems right now. You know? <laughs> but he, you need to know that God still loves you. Jesus, he doesn't say, I'm going to take get rid of all poverty. He says, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who are suffering. Blessed are those who are sick. You know, you may be dealing with all kinds of things. You, like, you could be dealing with a terminal illness. You could be dealing with cancer. You could be dealing with a, an intellectual disability that you were born with or a mental uh, illness that you're dealing with. You may have had families that mistreated you go- growing up. You may be having to go to counseling because of things that have happened to you that were outside of your control. And it, they may, they, you may be able to manage it. You may be able to get better. But some, but some of these things may not improve on this side of glory. But you need to know that you still have dignity. Jesus says that you're beautiful. Jesus loves you. And my wife always says to me when I come up with these examples and sermons, that I always come up with the most extreme examples. You know, like she's like, Tom, 
not everybody there was born addicted to crack with three arms. You know, like there's people there that are living normal lives. You know, it, and I want you to know that this speaks into like the mundane problems of the world too. Like you may have just cooked 10 TV dinners in a row this week, and, and you're feeling lonely, you're feeling isolated, you're feeling insignificant in this world. And if that's you, you need to know that Jesus thinks that you're gorgeous. He thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're wonderful. And you, there's a community of people here. That, they're going to talk about suicide and mental health here in a few weeks that are absolutely here for the ability to speak into your lives, to love you, just be present with you in your pain. If they can't fix it, they can be with you. And they love you. They are praying, and before you got here, praying that you could be here so that they could be a blessing upon you. And that hoping that you could be a blessing in this, in this community as you find a place where you belong. Doesn't matter. It does matter. It sucks if you were dealing with something that you can't fix. But it, God loves you. God thinks that you're beautiful and that you have a purpose no matter where you are. But here's another, another pitfall that you can fall into when you start to say this. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, Everything happens for a reason. You know, God's probably doing that for a reason. You know, that thing that happened to you that's devastating you. Some of you hear crazy things like, that could have led to the salvation of somebody who lives in Cambodia. That might have been a butterfly effect. Maybe God needed that to happen to you. And I think that's terrible. I think that's a terrible thing to say to somebody because you don't know why God's doing what it is. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about Freedom. I was here on, on Good Friday. I talked about God allowing people to live autonomously in this world because God is not interested in making robots. Now, that's a beautiful reality of the cross, but it is a stark reality for a lot of us who are having to live out our cross on this world because <laughs> there's, we are living in a sinful broken world and sometimes the things that are happening to you are not things that God chose they're things that God allowed because he's allowing us to live out our sinfulness in the world and our sinfulness doesn't just affect us it affects the people around us and a lot of us are carrying scars we're carrying burdens that are dealing with the people that we loved and they trusted and their brokenness and their sin that God didn't totally heal we're all dealing with that God may not have chosen what's happening to your life. And I, I really want to, when you see people suffering, I really want to put that caveat in there. Don't tell them why they're suffering unless you know why they're suffering. If you know without, you, even then you got to be delicate. But I mean, speaking on behalf of God when you don't know for sure what God, why God allowed something to happen, I think is disgusting. We've all done it probably, but it's wrong. It's not quite on the level of blaming hurricanes on homosexuals, but it's close. You know, don't speak for God into situations that you don't comprehend. That is, that, it can devastate people's lives. It's not okay. God may not have chosen you to live in the circumstances that you're going through. But I do know that he's chosen to use you in your circumstances. God may not have chosen your circumstances, but I know that God chose you. God chose you to shine his light in this world, to reflect Jesus in this world. God chose you to do it in whatever circumstances that you find yourself in. God the whole of the Bible, I can sum up the Bible in two minutes, right? In 30 seconds here. It's God choosing people 
to make his name famous, to bring redemption and bring reconciliation in this world. God using people for his purposes. God chose you for those exact purposes. What, what, is, what is the condition that you're living in? I promise you that if you take that into your prayer life and you absorb a godly vision of what that is, you're going to be able to empathize with other people in that situation. You're going to be able to empathize with people in similar situations. It's going to make you see the world differently. And God is shaping you to be like him so that you can absolutely make an individualized difference in this world. You are part of a multiple millennial vision of this, but you have an individualized purpose in this world because you have individualized circumstances. And God loves you and he gives you dignity no matter what you're going through. And he wants you to bring about beautiful things in this world. Which takes me to this passage from Colossians, from from Paul in his letter. He says, I have become the church's servant by the commission of God. He gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All he is doing, all this gospel message is coming to to reveal this great mystery that Christ in you is the hope of the world. And not just hope of the world, very specific, the hope of glory. Remember, it's the glory of of the world that is going to shine so bright in this world that we no longer need the sun. We no longer, the sunless daylight that we're all looking forward to is living inside of you, you know? When you shine that light, the hope of glory is broadcast to everyone around you. What Christ does in your life gives people a little glimpse of what's going to happen, what's going to happen in their world. It gives people a little bit of hope. It pulls them in to see what else is going on to this glorious, holistic, wonderfully healthy relationship with God and a people that want to support you. And so I want to ask you, what is Christ saying you today? You know, what is Christ doing in your world today? What is he saying to you in your heart? Because Christ, what Christ did for you dying on that cross is so that he can do his work in you and through you. It's not just what he did for you that's the hope of the glory. It's what he's doing through you that is the hope of glory. When you take that next step, whether it's baptism, whether it's coming away from one form of sinfulness, whether it's opening yourselves up to to a counselor or to to friends and being open, when you make room for for Jesus' sacrifice to make, make a difference in your life so that the Holy Spirit can work transformation in your life, When you let that work in your life so that you are now becoming a redemptive force in your own sphere of influence, you individually are pointing towards that sunless daylight that every single one of us is craving for in our hearts. And as a church, as Daylight Church, as we live out that light, we do that all over Louisville. Hopefully we're going to do that all over Berea and all over Kentucky. When you are willing to step into that, 
Jesus is going to do beautiful things as he lives through you. Watch what the Holy Spirit does in your life. What is it that God is asking you to do today? How is he asking you to step forward, to step out, to step in to what he has? What is that? 